I don't believe in no one's scenarios. Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. <laughs> Hello and welcome to a very special Cheeky Scientist radio show. Today we are talking about why employers want to hire PhDs as product managers. We're going to focus first on what product managers are. What do they do? Why is the role so ubiquitous in industry? Why is it a role that PhDs from any background can get into? STEM, non-STEM, interdisciplinary, life sciences, physical sciences, engineering, chemistry, mathematics, and beyond. Uh, Why do companies like Hilton Hotels, uh, McDonald's, Home Depot, Google, the Hamilton Company, and we actually have a product manager from the Hamilton Company who will be joining me today. Uh, We have have two different product managers who will be talking with us as part of our panel about how they transitioned into their product management role, the challenges they faced, and how product management even – got on their radar, what it is exactly. We'll get into some of the industry specifics of what product managers do and skills, the 12 skills, both transferable and technical skills you already have as a PhD that prime you for getting into these roles. And also why it's one of the best roles to get into if you have no industry experience. And if you're not 100% sure which role to get into first, because it's a great role to leapfrog into any other role in industry, product management, Uh, We've had a lot of people waiting a long time for us to talk about this role. I'm excited to jump in with our panel starting now. Hi, Gunnar. How are you? Hello. Nice to be here. Good to have you. Satya Yuvati, how are you? Good to see you. I'm good to see you. I'm good too. I hope you can hear me well. I can hear you both well. Uh, Really appreciate you both being here. Can you just introduce yourself and tell us uh, where you are currently, your name, where you are, and uh, the company you're with? And I'll start with you, Gunnar. Yeah, my name is Gunnar Newquist, and I am a product manager at Hamilton Company, who makes uh, robots for lab automation. And right. uh, I've been in that role just over a year. Congratulations, Gunnar. Thank you. Please say hello to Gunnar, if you could see and hear him, and Sachavati. Am I saying that correctly? We'll hear now. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> you can, hi. You can call me Satya. Everyone who knows me in my com- company and everywhere else call me Satya. Thank so I, um, I am working at Springer Nature. So just the, the, the blog that you fall, uh, showed was from Nature. Oh, yeah. uh, I am not an editor. I am not a salesperson. I am a product manager. Um, I have been with Springer Nature for more than four years and I have been a product manager for more than three to four years now. Um, it's wow. close to five years. Yeah. Excellent. So I think what we have here is a great example of just really the the diversity of things that you can manage as a product manager and something very relatable to all of you, right? Springer nature. So uh, thank you both for being on. Really appreciate you both being on. Um, I'll start with you, Satya, because I know that you're, you have a, a little less time here, but I wanted to ask you both before we jumped in, you know, looking back at your job search, right? What were the challenges you faced, especially with finding the right role? Uh, and, and then, of course, getting into it. And then how did you overcome that to first find out that product management was a possibility and then to get into it? Uh, so if you could talk a little bit about that process, kind of the before and after of your transition and then specifically around how, how did you learn about product management? What do you wish you would have known as far as how you, you know, ubiquitous product management is, the possibilities, how you were a good fit for it? And Satya, I'll start with you. Thank you. Thank you, Isa. Uh, So uh, first and foremost, how I started was I saw this position of subject matter expertise. So what is a subject matter expert is a person who knows his or her subject very well. So if you're in life science, if you're especially in biotech or any, you, you, as a PhD, you are an expert at a certain field. That is a given. And then um, I am into a digital product management role. So as a scientist who was working in laboratory for five years, publishing papers, this is then a com- completely new world to me. Uh, so what is digital? Okay, what's software? Okay, what is it? And, you know, the entire world was very, very new to me. But what was very exciting was that you solve problems. So the first thing that you do as a product manager is to identify problems that are 
by your users. By users, I mean the product you're making for. So if, if you are making a reagent, you're making for a person who is going to use that reagent. Or if you're making a software or a, or a website, you're, using, you're making it for someone. So Facebook is very easy to use, but there is a team of product managers who are making sure that it's easy to use. It's making sure that you understand the moment you're on Facebook, what to click, how to like, and all of that. So this is the first and foremost requirement of a product manager. And it was pretty exciting because I didn't know the terms like user journeys, customer journeys, uh, market analysis, competitive analysis, and more and more about machine learning and AI. These two terms pop up here and there, but how exactly is it going to help me in my product? So mm. this was a learning process. Of course, uh, there are a lot of terms that you would learn on job because every product is different. But what you would need to know before, I think I should have definitely known, is um, how to identify problems, which we definitely we know as a scientist how to identify, but where to go when you are in a different product. Second is who are all the stakeholders who are involved? So uh, for me, user experience designer or user experience researcher, this role was very new to me. I didn't know what do they exactly do. So because I was interested in, I, I was interested in um, digital product management role and I'm, I still want to continue. I'm not in the lab. I'm not working with any laboratory uh, equipments, uh, but I'm working with laboratory scientists. So I'm, tr I'm understanding how scientists work in academia, although I was one and, and how do they use uh, for example, a website, how do you use PubMed? But then in industry, you have a very specific role called as user experience researcher or a user experience designer who is trained to understand the human emotions, who is trained to understand the human uh, behavior when they are using a certain uh, website or a platform or a tool or a product. And um, and how to basically, uh, how to communicate with them. Because most people, if you're in digital role, if you want to get into one, they don't know what scientists are. They don't know what do they do. You need to translate those to those roles, you know, uh, to software, to I explain to a software engineer what is PCR. Uh, it can take some time. <laughs> but, but then to already acquire the skill during your PhD is to, okay, there might be different stakeholders, but they would do something functions which will be interesting to me. Second is, am I able to explain my science in a simplest possible words, right. in a way that a completely a layman can understand, a, a salesperson can understand who had has his degree from MBA, but never had his science degree at all. So, so I think these are the skills I, I think I should have had, and I should have definitely known that product manager role exists. I would have right. just applied to their left. I mean, it's a very exciting role. I've been in four years now, and I want to continue. Yeah. Incredible uh, feedback and understanding, really. Thank you, Sacha. Please thank Sacha in the chat box. Just real quick, because you know, you're at Nature, to really drive it home here for people that are brand new to the concept. So you are a product manager. What is the product you manage? I am managing a database product. So it is called as experiments, uh, Springer Nature Experiments. It's a platform to search for your techniques, for your protocols and methods that researchers use in the laboratory. Perfect. So I have been involved since the inception or since the very beginning of the product and like managing something what we call as knowledge models or ontologies to today where I'm dealing with sales in APAC region and sales in EMEA region, for example. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. So yeah, so a product can be really just anything at a company you can own. And the larger the company, usually the more the product is broken down into like features or segments or parts. And each of those parts would be managed by a different product manager. Uh, so we'll talk more about this, but Satya, really, very insightful. Thank you for your time. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Um, so Gunnar, I know you're going to stay with us, but I still want to hear your story just a little bit. You know, looking back, what were the challenges you had and how did product manager get on your radar? How'd you get into it? And then looking back, what do you wish you would have known? Uh, I wish I would have known a lot. Um, <laughs> there's a, it, it's hard to jump from academia into a, into an industry job. It really is. And I had, I had no idea how to do it at all. So I started my own company to try to get out. Right. So, so not knowing anything at all, I jumped into translating my research into uh, strategies for artificial intelligence, another field that I knew nothing about, and just started building uh, robots that were, uh, you know, supposed to be little toys that were uh, autonomous. 
And uh, eventually I, I had to set that company aside and then say, okay, well, what from here? I mean, what, what fits? I want to stay in industry. Um, I don't want to go back to academia. And uh, I realized um, by looking on web searches, actually, that product management uh, fit the types of um, things that I had already done as a CEO of a company. So I was I was the product owner of my um, of my little creature that we were building. Yes. Yeah. So so to get there though, I had to be able to communicate somehow my skill set of academia plus starting my own business into something that uh, industry would understand that I could bring provide value on a product level. And that is a very challenging thing. I, I still struggle with it. And so, you know, having a group of people like this that can help you understand the terminology and the uh, challenges in communication really is uh, essential to being able to make this kind of transition. Mm. And so I'll, I'll give you a little example of, of what uh, can happen. Um, so you start sending out resumes, you might even know somebody at the company and then, uh, they start talking to you and realize that you haven't done something specific that they were looking for, and then you're not a match. So you need to be able to explain that the either domain knowledge that you've acquired or the uh, skill set that goes beyond uh, your specific domain translates very well into their specific product role that you that they need to accomplish. Hmm. And uh, that's what I wish I would have known beforehand is that communication skill of translating PhD value into product value. Amazing. Yeah. Great, great way to uh, finish there. And I, I think product value and really how we define a product is where we're going to turn to next. So thanks, Gun. And we're, we're going to turn to that defining products. I think this is something that confuses a lot of PhDs in retro, you know, in retrospect for both of you. And I know for me, um, it's been f- fairly easy to understand. Uh, I mean, it seems fairly easy to understand, but for some reason, we don't realize that, oh, this Kaigen kit that we're using is a product or this software program is a product or not even the software program, but like Sacha said, this feature of a software program is a product. Uh, so defining products, how do you do it? I, I guess let's do the reverse pyramid, the broadest scope, what is a product? And then how do we kind of narrow it down to uh, what a product is to a product manager or gunner? Oops, sorry, I was on mute. Um, so what is a product to a product manager? Yeah, well, for, first, just in the largest scope, like w- give us some examples of what products can be. Because um, I, I think it's very confusing to a lot of PhDs how a product manager can be responsible for uh, you know one of the features of a software program or how it could be responsible yeah. for like one of the types of, you know, solution, one of the kits of like the whole repertoire of Kaigen kits, just for people that are working in a lab versus, you know, really any other product that they're, they're working on. Yeah. So, so physical products are easier to define because you, you have a set um, thing that you can see and feel Um, software products. uh, It runs the gamut. Sometimes you have to be a a product manager of an entire software platform. So like for, for me, it is the software that runs the robot that controls the robot. And that's a lot of different features. There's different um, parts of the software. Maybe some of it's a user interface, some of it's a backend database and uh, different companies uh, break that up uh, more or less depending on how much uh, product management they need or they, they think is important for that suite of products. And so, uh, so for me, I personally manage both a hardware platform, a robot, and the software that controls it at the same time. And so you have to jump back and forth between the, you know, the user interface of the software and then how that relates to the robot itself. Hmm. Um, in, a, in other places, you might do something as, as uh, um, specific as the, a, a feature of a like button at Facebook, I think is an example that's used yeah. a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe a very specific antibody that's being put out, or maybe it's the entire, um, you know, uh, molecular biology kit, um, range of things that this company puts out. Yeah. And it might seem like a very definite thing, but a few considerations, first of all, right. It can be intangible things. Like there's an insurance policy here. It's not just STEM related things or non-STEM. It's really anything. We, we've helped people get hired into product management roles at Home Depot, uh, Hilton Hotels, 
every company is once they get to a certain size, really, you know, anything, uh, even smaller companies have product managers because they need people to make sure a product, whatever they're defining it as works. And it can be a portfolio of products, entire platforms, the right, the size, the scope of what that product is varies quite a bit. So that's good for you. It means if you want to do something that's more defined, you can, if you want to do something that's less defined as, or has lots of products, uh, you can as well. And this management component is important. That word is not there by mistake. It means that there's a lot of uh, interconnectedness, right? You're going to be working, you know, that, that product's going to touch the company in multiple different places, multiple different departments, and you're involved in that. And, that, and we're going we're gonna to get to that here uh, soon. So what about product categories? So this is more of that industry knowledge we were talking about, all of you learning to speak the language of industry, understand the difference of product and brands. Really, you can't get into any job. Uh, if you don't can't clearly define what a product is or what a brand is, these are just some basic concepts you'll need to learn regardless. But there's also these different categories, right? So uh, ca industry sectors. We use the word industry to mean really anything in business as academics, but industry and a, a sector per industry is a very specific hierarchy. So, Gunnar, just really quickly here on this table, we're just looking at you know a few different sectors product categories and examples of products and brands. Can you walk us through one of these and just what the difference is as we, as we go from left to right in this row? Yeah, so uh, you're going to have to understand uh, what the market is that you're trying to sell to. And uh, the industry sector helps you identify that. So um, if it's uh, a food, um, there's a lot of different ways that you can that people eat things. So there's a lot of different uh, types of food that you eat. So, so it might be, you know, any number of things that don't even compete with each other. And that's the product categories, things that kind of compete with each other. So uh, in the vegetable section, your uh, broccoli sometimes competes with your asparagus because you don't necessarily eat broccoli and asparagus at the same time, but you might eat, you know, uh, protein plus a vegetable plus, you know, some kind of uh, drink, right? So these are non-competing product categories, and uh, you need to understand where your product lies uh, within that, right? So you need to understand who you're competing against and who is synergistic with you. Yes. Um, and then very specific products. Well, this is this is what you're going to be working with on a day-to-day -day basis. Is okay. I have Babel cheese, or uh, I have some kind of cheese. Let's say it's Tillamook. How does it uh, how does it compete with these uh, other types of cheeses there? Um, and maybe you're even more specific. I only have a specific flavor of Tillamook and where does that fit in the palette, right? Mm. Um, so you're going to be playing along all of these different, um, I guess, uh, this hierarchy of information and you need to see where to spend your time appropriately. And so as a product manager, you don't only need to know these high level uh, management skills. You also need to know the day-to-day -day management skills, maybe project management type of things to get things done at a certain timeline, right? Mm. Yeah, uh, exactly. And I think this will start at least introducing you to the framework and some of the vocabulary terminology you'll need to, to learn as a product manager. Uh, so there's not just these categories, there's also a life cycle, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we could say sales are really how products go into the market. Uh, sales is an important word for all of you to understand. It doesn't just mean, you know, people that come into your, your lab or otherwise to, to sell you stuff. It's, it's for researchers, other, other types of clients and customers who need stuff. When do they end up needing it? Right. Who, how do they find out about it? How did, how did you find out about the last thing that your classroom needed or your lab needed or you needed at home? Right. So, so that's, that's really what sales means here. And then time. So we're looking at development, introduction, growth, maturity, decline. Can you walk us through this lifestyle briefly, Gunnar? Yeah. So it depends on what type of uh, uh, position you get put into. You might have to manage this entire life cycle, or you might just manage part of it, right? There might be a product that's already out there and uh, you are now um, newly tasked with, let's say the growth phase. Um, so I'll start over at the beginning here though. Um, as a product manager, um, you're always going to have to be thinking about what is being developed, what has been developed, and uh, what the vision is for the future of um, what should be started, let's say, next year. So to get this product ready for launch, you got to work very closely with the R&D team, 
the scientific team maybe you have, uh, the customers and the users and the market researchers to be able to see where your product is going to fit when it gets launched, right? And as soon as that product gets launched, that means making it available to the customer. Now you have to manage it in a different way. Is it making the, the fit that it needs to with what the expectation was of where it should be sold and how it should be sold? So the great the product market fit here in the introduction means that you have developed a product that your customer that you're aiming for wants. So it's not just a a product that anybody wants or that um, somebody else wants. It's did you target the right people for it? And so this yes. is where you have to talk to your customers a lot about, hey, uh, is this meeting your your goals for for what you think it should be doing? Um, is it satisfying you? Um, what else would you like to see in the future? Um, and then that sets you up to either grow or decline, right? So hopefully you've uh, made a pretty good market fit. And if you didn't, you can move in a nice uh, agile fashion to get to that perfect market fit. Mm. And then it's going to start taking off and you're going to have to manage how quickly uh, this uh, growth is accelerating because you're going to have to go back to your logistics and say, hey, can we actually deliver the amount of goods that the customers need now? Because what can happen is you can actually grow faster than you could possibly deal with, and which is a good thing, but you need to be prepared for that, that possibility and say like, hey, um, you know, as a business strategist, that's part of your role sometimes. Uh, how are we going to stay ahead of the curve here for being able to supply enough to product without wasting all of our money just building product ahead of time that people might not buy? Um, so, so in this time when you're you're getting growth, uh, you're going to see a lot of uh, customer support that comes along. Um, it's never going to go as smoothly as you expect. Um, so, what your goal should be is to understand where these problems are going to arise and get ahead of them. So mm. this is where you start becoming the uh, firefighter. That's the, the joke in the industry, right? Right. So uh, what's better to be a firefighter, though, is to be able to anticipate those so you don't have to put out every fire. <laughs> mm. That should be the goal. Right. Um, so as you're trying to avoid these fires, um, then you'll have all these other things come up. You're going to be juggling a lot of things. But hopefully you can get to a place where, um, which is called maturity, where all you have to do is stay ahead of the game of where the market is heading in the future. And you're no longer managing the day-to-day, -day, oh, did the, like if it's a robot, um, did we make the circuit board well enough that it's robust enough? Now you're looking at, um, hey, we have 20% market share. How do we get to 25? So how do we get to 30? What's, uh, what's the future holding? Is this market going to shrink? Is it going to expand? Maybe we should be transitioning to a new market with this and uh, trying not to uh, lose ground that you've already spent so much energy gaining, right? Mm. Um, but uh, somewhere, somehow, the uh, product's life cycle always comes to, the in to an end, and that's the decline. It might be quick, like in software. A lot of times software goes very quickly in a matter of years. Um, it might be uh, a long time, like uh, syringes, medical syringes, they, they last for decades, right? Mm. Um, so you need to think about, you know, where, what are the metrics that say, hey, we should no longer be offering this product because it's no longer profitable. Um, it's causing more problems because of we can't get the, I don't know, the reagents to make it anymore. Um, and uh, this is really a hard one for people to get. Um, because you've invested so much time and money in this product, please never let it die, right? <laughs> right. So, so it's, it's about thinking about, do you pivot? Do you kill it? Or is it going to keep going on? Yeah, really good introduction. I mean, what you just learned is something that most, uh, even business professionals will never learn correctly. And Gunnar did a great job of explaining it. So, so please give him uh, some recognition for that. No, seriously, really good job, Gunnar. Okay, so let's get into the role, the day to day. So, so what do you do the, the day to day? I guess if somebody, you know, called you up and said, "Hey, I want to interview you for a newspaper article on uh, the role of a product manager," what would you tell them? Uh, I would tell them that uh, you have to wear a lot of hats. 
Mm. Um, so if you don't want to be a firefighter all the time, the way to get around that is to understand all the problems that all of your different stakeholders are going to have, whether they be customers, the business development office, the manufacturing, and making all of their jobs easier, right? And so the way that you can really do this as a scientist is, you know, you, you have great troubleshooting ability, right? You have great risk assessment because you are able to get your publications you were able to manage the fact that you had to teach a class and uh, be able to balance your time effectively. And you have the research ability to uh, look ahead and make sure that everything, uh, you know, fits in line with what you, your um, preconceived notions are, right? So when somebody asks you about what, what is a product manager doing, you're a risk manager. You are the champion for your product. You are all of these things at the same time. And that's why it's so exciting because you get to kind of pick and choose what are the, what parts of this, you know, exciting landscape you get to focus on. So it's really a, a multifaceted um, job. Exactly. So let's get into some of the, these different facets, right? So there's the strategic product activities. And I think this is why PhDs make such good product managers. There's a R in here, but uh, is because you can zoom out and look at the forest, right? To see everything that's happening and to connect and manage all the different priorities and uh, even people, the stakeholders, right? Which we heard uh, Satya talk about too, uh, to get things done. But at the same time, you can zero in on the details, the trees at a, at a very close level to, to figure out things. Go, can you just walk us through these different uh, facets here, Gunnar, uh, from the viewpoint of a product manager? Okay, so starting with insight, um, this is something that you're going to be really good at as a PhD. And, you know, this is, this is all research, right? And, uh, and it, with the market research, what you're looking for is what is, what is everybody else doing? Uh, what are your competitors doing? What are your customers doing? And then uh, putting that into, um, I don't know, a graph or some kind of visual to say, okay, how does our product fit within the market? That's the kind of thing you're looking for with market research. Uh, the customer research, I say, is a specific part of that because you look at your individual um, customers and say, what are their needs? And you need to be able to prioritize as your product, um, which of those needs do we want to meet? Because you probably won't be able to meet every customer's need. You can't be everything to everyone. And so, again, this is a prioritization process of understanding which customers you want to best fulfill. And and putting that in a context of the business, right? Uh, competitive research is, uh, you know, looking at the people who make things kind of like what you're putting out there. So if, uh, if you make antibodies, uh, what are the other antibody companies making? And then uh, using that research to try to understand how the um, product is positioned against the competitors to best um, suit uh, the strong points of your product. Um, and then product performance, how well is it actually doing in the market? Is right. it selling like it's supposed to? Um, is it causing pain in the customer? Um, so it might be selling well, but they hate it, right? You don't want that either. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also uh, another product performance uh, metric might be internal. So uh, is it um, actually making money in the way that you want? Because everybody might like it, but if it costs too much to, to develop, then your business is going to go under anyway. Yes. Right? Um, so that's those insights. Uh, I've been kind of talking about analysis at the same time here, um, but uh, you use these insights to make these analyses of uh, how your product is uh, performing and fitting in the market. So um, let's think about, I, I want to skip to the last one uh, first, because you probably haven't heard much about business cases, but something that you'll have to do is, make a case for your product to the upper management. Sometimes it's just, um, you know, a case to say this product should exist. And this is kind of like a, a research grant proposal. So you're going to say, like, why is there value to, to doing this product? Um, in the same way that you would say, why is there value to my research? Um, so it might be financial. It might be um, something that uh, lets their company have a very good insight to a customer um, it might be something that's, you know, this is 
might be not that profitable, but it brought brings people into other products, right? Um, and so this is the business case helps you with the positioning, the proposition of, you know, here's here's what we should be building, and the segmentation of uh, what parts of the market are we actually going to go after. Hmm. And so that's where the direction starts, right? So um, looking, this is usually looking internally for, from my standpoint anyway. Um, what other products are uh, is your company making and how does your product fit within those products? Um, and to do that effectively, it really helps to have a vision for the product. The vision statement says, this is the reason to be a product. And this is what we think the customers will like about it. And um, that sets you up to be able to evangelize and say to your customers and to your stakeholders, everybody else that's involved in this product, why this should be um, in the world, right? Right. And then more logistically, you have to get to the roadmap of saying, how do we build this uh, to this vision? So the vision says what we want to be in the future, this grand scheme of things. Um, and the roadmap says, piece by piece, step by step, this is how we get there. Um, so the roadmaps are uh, my favorite part of it, actually, um, because you get to lay out uh, your goals, your timelines, and all of the step-by-step the -step things that PhDs are good at, at doing, because you've run through all these experiments, you know how to set everything up, right? Yeah, and and Gunnar, you know, I think this is a great overview of, of really, you know, this in-depth information is what we train you on in the product management group. I want to make sure we have time to get to yeah. the skills we promised you today, but I also want to take just a minute to talk about stakeholders, right? There's internal and external stakeholders. Stakeholders are just people of influence in particular areas. And this just shows really all the different aspects of the business that you get to be a part of as a product manager. Can you just briefly uh, describe in your experience uh, the, the stakeholders in these six areas. Yeah, so let's start with the R and D engineering teams. Uh, these are the ones that I um, interface with mostly at my company um, because there's a lot of product development happening. These are the ones that are um, the people who make your product work. Um, and so sometimes it's uh, you know they're they're running experiments trying to figure out uh, how to build it, and sometimes they're just you know make, making the the thing that you need to sell. Right. Yeah. So sales and marketing, um, <clears throat> this is your customer facing group. Uh, they're the ones talking directly to the customers in various ways. Sometimes it's, <clears throat> excuse me, to, uh, to sell the product. Sometimes it's to uh, get people excited about your product. Um, so you need to give them a good vision for your product to be able to communicate. Hmm. Uh, the manufacturing teams, they're going to be the ones building your product after uh, the engineering has finished with it, um, designing the thing. Um, and, uh, this could be a, a rather large undertaking. Like if you're making a robot, you have a very big manufacturing team behind you and they have to know exactly how to build it. Um, regulatory affairs is going to happen a lot more if you're in a regulated industry like drug uh, manufacturing um, or something where you're delivering something to, uh, let's say, children. Right. Um, and so uh, there's a whole group of people that, that deals with the laws and the regulations. So you don't have to be the expert on it. They can tell you how, how it works. Uh, medical affairs, again, something very similar to regulatory affairs in the medical industry. Um, and the business development, these are a lot of times you're, you're talking directly to the CEO and, and uh, other um, upper management here about where the business is going. You know, this is, this is saying like, what's our goals of how much profit we make? Um, what's the goal of how our product fits into our business model? Yeah, and so so the the goal here is to understand, you know, really what you're doing as a product manager. There's a lot of data analysis involved. A lot of the key skills you already have gained as a PhD, you will apply uh, before we get to the skills, right? So the external stakeholders, those are, those are internal. So you're going to be working cross departmentally. That's important. That's the management aspect. Externally, you know, you're going to work with vendors. If you've heard these names as a PhD, you know, you you've maybe come to recognize what a vendor is. Um, key opinion leaders, KOLs. Uh, sometimes thought leaders, right, uh, and then customers. So, so let's focus on on I guess these two. Gunner, what's your relationship with vendors versus key opinion leaders as a product manager? Yeah, for the, so the vendors are uh, more logistical. They're 
they're getting the parts that you need to make your product. Um, and so it's good to have a good relationship with the vendors because they'll prioritize you over your competitors if, uh, if you right. <laughs> they like you, right? Yes. Um, and uh, the key opinion leaders, these are the people who really drive the, the direction of the field in the future. If, if somebody says, hey, the direction is automation, um, well, you better be a, ahead of that um, and understanding that saying like, well, we make automation, so we should be talking to this key opinion layer to say, if you want automation, ours is the best. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I mean, and so if, if you're thinking of, you know, let's say you, you work in a lab as an example, a vendor would be the person who creates the PCR machine to you, but as a product manager for a company, you know, that could be the the person supplying the chips for hardware, right? Could be a vendor. The key opinion leaders could be other research professionals that are using uh, your products already and giving you insights on those products. Maybe they even get those products for free because they're testing them early, right? So they're beta testers as well as key opinion leaders, or they're people that, going back to the chip example, they're using the chip in, in their research and can give you insights and you have built some sort of... Uh, a uh, peer-to-peer relationship. Uh, and, and that's why you as PhDs are so valuable in particular, because your ability to build relationships uh, with high level, especially researchers and, and people in these two different categories. Uh, and it's no different than what you're, you do at a conference, an academic conference or a poster session already. Uh, with that, we're going to start talking about these skills. And that's what we're going to have time to finish up today. So really the skill sets of a successful product manager is where we're going to turn here. And, and we have this, these technical skill sets into three different buckets, technical knowledge, business acumen, regulatory knowledge. But you can see here the transferable skills, there's a lot more buckets. And these are the ones that you already have that you can leverage on your resume, your LinkedIn profile. We're going to start with just communication. Sounds simple, but as a product manager, it's crucial. Very briefly for each of these skills, can you give us kind of a, in your day in the life, how, how is this skill important? Oh my gosh, this is the the most important as a product manager because you have to convince people that you have no actual control over that you need <laughs> something done uh, and they need to do something for you. So, I mean, uh, not only you have to have the uh, communication skills of being able to explain something that you um, uh, of what you do to somebody who has no idea what you're talking about. That's kind of a um, both that that happens in all these horizontal and vertical communication and external. But you also need to be able to uh, convince them effectively that you are, what you're doing is important. And that's especially true with the vertical communication to, to senior management, because yes. you need to always maintain the fact that you have a job that's important, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, totally important. When, and so just to be clear, remember, you're going to get into a role where you have to get things done, right? And this kind of cross-functional influence is crucial. And uh, there's cert certain uh, phrases, ways to do it, uh, transactional uh, understanding of, of how you will help other people in other departments and how they can help you that you will be quizzed on for really an interview for any job. But it is highly, highly important for both product manager and project management positions. So what about flexibility, Gunnar? Yeah, you're, you're both an influencer and, a and an educator. And so there you need to be flexible in all of the aspects, like both your communication styles and in your technical styles of what you're trying to do at, at any one time. Right. Um, so you have to plan ahead of time so that you can um, not be a firefighter every day, but uh, a leader and um, a strategist. Yep. And, and I think adaptability is something ever since the pandemic, we've really seen rise, which is why there's this explosion of product managers and project managers, because both are often done remotely. Like a lot of you, you're thinking like, well, where can I have security? You've realized, hey, I don't want to have the lack of security that I currently have in academia. I want a job that's secure. Things are very different than even 20 years ago. The most secure jobs are in industry, two in particular, product manager, project manager. In fact, they're more valuable when things are remote. And a lot of, of work is still remote and will stay remote for a long time just simply because employers, you know, they don't want the overhead maybe of the office space. So how can you always be valuable if you are really good at coordinating, right? With stakeholders, products, solving problems virtually or otherwise, you're self-motivated, you can work autonomous. That's what makes you valuable as a product manager, project manager. So problem solving, Gunnar, uh, it seems obvious, but, but why specifically for, for these roles? Well, the, uh, you're, <laughs> 
like I said, firefighter here, <laughs> you're going to have problems coming up all the time. And so the best thing you can do is be able to get to the, the heart of that problem quickly and be able to communicate that um, what's going on with that problem to any of your stakeholders immediately. Yes. Um, so your research skills and your communication skills go to hand in hand here um, because there will always be a problem with your product and you have to stay ahead of it. Prioritization. Now, this is often overlooked, right? Uh, you get a lot of questions interviewing for any job that we've seen from thousands of PhDs, right? You, if your current priorities are this and your manager comes in and tells you to, pre, or somebody or a manager from another department comes in, right? They do these different types of questions to tells you that this is the new priority. How do you reprioritize? So why is prioritization so key? Well, you're going to have more things to do than you can possibly get to. Um, and that's just, that's just the nature of the job. Um, so um, always have a nice priority list of, let's say it's features. You want to have 10 features, you can get to three of them. Mm. Um, what are the top three? And then maybe if we have time, we can get to four and five, right? Exactly. Um, so it's, it's really important for product development, the feature development, um, but it's also important to the problem solving. It's like, which, which are the biggest problems we need to get ahead of? Because you're not going to solve everybody's problem for everybody. You need to focus on what provides the most business value um, and the most value for your customer. Yes. And, uh, and a lot of you joining right now. So Lori, Gagandeep, welcome. Great to have you in the program. Vera, uh, about 10 minutes left to join. So make sure you use that scholarship code now that we showed you. You're going to get both programs, lifetime access to both programs. Now, interpersonal skills. We hear this a lot. It sounds like fluff language, but what does it mean? You know, and I guess it comes back to that cross-functional, cross-departmental uh, style that you need to develop. You know, I think it really all comes down to trust. Um, do the people that you interact with trust your judgment? Um, do they mm -hmm. like you well enough that they want to interact with you? Um, yes. And, and yeah, you, you have to develop these interpersonal skills to be able to be an influencer and to be a leader. Um, and, you know, these are not the same skill set as being a, a, a bench scientist. Um, and that, that's a really important distinction here. Um, you're not just doing your own job. You're, you're getting everybody behind you. Um, to be able to accomplish this as a team. Mm. So it's, it's uh, interpersonal skills is really the most important thing you can do. So it's people management, pro, you know, priority management, time management. So how's time management different? Well, so the, the time that you can spend on any feature or um, let's say market analysis is short usually. And so um, you, you have a certain amount of time uh, that's, Kind of dictated by the company as a whole of to get things done. So maybe they want your product launch to happen in June. Um, so you need to prioritize your features and and uh, how you're going to develop uh, everything within a very short time frame. Um, so if you cannot allocate the time effectively, your product will not go out on time, and people are not going to um, get what they need out of you. Yeah, and these words are not chosen by accident for all of you to know. These are the actual words that people who hire product managers, both recruiters and hiring managers internally, look for and told us they look for on resumes and LinkedIn profiles. So, Gunnar, just real quick, can you speak to that? I mean, organization, it's here, but these might sound like basic skills. And a lot of PhDs think those are too basic. I'm not going to put that as a key skill on my resume. Why is it important to mention these transferable skills specifically if you want to get hired into really this role or, or related roles? Well, this is one of the, understanding an organization is really one of the most important things uh, to your ability to um, effectively do your job. And so it's really hard for people to see how a scientist can work in an industry job because they've never had the same kind of organization that they've had to deal with. Um, so if you can uh, somehow communicate that you will be able to deal with the organizational challenges of that particular company, you are in a much better place than somebody that's coming straight off the benches, never had to work in that type of environment. Yeah, well said. And uh, we, organization was shown there. So empathy, we actually see this as a skill coming up over and over again, especially for roles like product manager that require understanding of clients, there's, you know, client stories or user stories, right? Which is. Uh, somebody's experience as they're using a product or about to, you know, about to get the product, et cetera. What can you say to this? Customer experience is a huge differentiating factor in any business. 
And so if you have empathy for your customers, um, either from your own experiences or being able to see what the customer needs from your analytical insights that you've provided, then you are a hundred times better off than if you're just building something without this, this type of knowledge. So customer experience is uh, key to business nowadays. And this is how you show it. And this is a reason why, you know, if you have any sort of background in qualitative, working with qualitative information, qualitative data, uh, you're a candidate for this role. It's not just for STEM people, but you can leverage if you're interdisciplinary, social sciences or, or humanities as well, you can get hired into these roles. Motivational, so, how, you know, PhDs are great at motivating with logic, which I think a lot of people are not. So can you talk a little bit about how this is important and how it's not like rah-rah motivation as a product manager? Yeah, this, this is a tough one, I think, um, because uh, scientists are used to just providing data and uh, you need to both. But so the, the thing that's different here is you provide data with a spin. So that spin is your motivation, right? So you say, this is why this data is important. And here's what we can do with it. And then look at the positive, right? So it's a matter of maintaining positivity based on data. Yeah, and it's not, it's, it's creating a uh, rash, it's building rationale. It's the same yeah. thing that you do in a paper. You have data, right? Which is not the whole story because you can only collect so much data. And if you've been, <laughs> you know, past your second year as a graduate student, you know what I'm talking about. And so you have to take that data and build a story around that data to publish a paper or to get a grant. That is the exact same thing you're doing here, which is why you're good at this. You're great at building a rationale. Uh, and you just have to do that on a daily basis. Okay, technical skills. And then we're going to end here because uh, I know Gunnar has to go. Uh, so domain knowledge. What, what is meant by domain knowledge when it comes to being a uh, product manager? So your product uh, exists in a certain market segment and, and that or domain, so to speak, is uh, where this lives. And so if you uh, are a molecular biologist, if your product is a molecular biology product, uh, you're going to be easier for them to see how you fit in this role. Um, so a lot of times, if you're trying to come in without any technical skills, uh, then they're going to not understand how you're going to communicate to their engineers and their scientists um, that they have to deal with. So, so having those very specific uh, domain knowledge that you got from your PhD or some other role is going to help you get to that, uh, that interview. Yeah. And this is what you're going to gain in the program. So what domain knowledge do you have? What industry experience right now? Zero goose egg. Okay. Especially for product management, but you'll be trained in this and you'll be able to submit a certificate signed by product managers working in industry saying that you've received this training and you can get your actual uh, additional certificates based on the hours that you put into product management, as well as project management. That's really what you're covering here. You think you're going to get one of these top PhD level roles without industry experience and without an in-depth program with PhD instructors and mentorship and without access to a network of PhDs working in that role? You are not. That's why we build these programs for you. So business acumen, which has a, a T here. You can tell this is the first time we've ever done this presentation. Uh, we got it off hot off the press. So, so business acumen, what, what does that mean? We talked about it earlier. Um, this is a way of building trust that you can actually provide business value. Um, as a scientist, this is going to be your toughest uh, thing to convince them of. Um, so you would need to speak, you need to talk the talk and walk the walk at the same time here. So if you understand all the jargon, um, just like if you're talking the jargon of a scientific um, publication, it'll help you uh, gain the trust that they know that you can do the job that you're, you're out to do, which is increase business value. Exactly. And uh, finally here, regulatory knowledge. Um, so this uh, highly depends on what uh, the product um, landscape is, where you're going to deliver your product. Um, so if you're in a highly regulated, regulated industry, such as uh, pharma, then uh, it really helps to understand that can you actually put this product out because of the regulations around it? So a lot of times products get, get uh, thwarted because they can't pass regulatory uh, um, standards. Exactly. So, uh, you know, and the key skill here, documentation, right? Record keeping, which all of you have, right? Whether it's a, a lab notebook or just doing your thesis, 
uh, collecting notes for for uh, your qualitative in interviews if if you did you know maybe interdisciplinary interviews so great great presentation gunner thank you so much for your time this takes us to the end of this show you can learn about this program and all of our programs at cheekyscientist.com if you are new to your job search you don't know which position's right for you you can go to phdsgethired.com that's plural phds gethired.com to learn more about our flagship program, the Cheeky Scientist Association that has helped thousands of PhDs around the world get hired. It'll train you on the basics of your job search and help you find the right position for you. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. I'm Isaiah Henkel, the founder of Cheeky Scientist and the creator of the Cheeky Scientist Association. I wanted to quickly tell you that memberships into the association are available to PhDs listening to Cheeky Scientist Radio by using the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com, PhDs. G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll down to the orange membership button and click on it, then enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. That's CheekyRadio, C-H-E-E-K-Y-R-A-D-I-O. Remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. Are you worried about the rapidly shrinking job market? Like me, have you been seeing more and more articles on universities shutting down their research labs, furloughing employees, cutting postdocs and TAs, and even withdrawing PhD student funding? If so, it might be wise to start taking steps to protect your PhD career. You've worked very hard and very intelligently for years to establish yourself but likely you have not reached your full career potential yet. Perhaps you're not even getting respect and you're not getting the rewards that you deserve. The good news is you can get into an industry career where you can get paid well for doing meaningful work. All you need is the right knowledge and the right network. The Cheeky Scientist Association gives you lifetime access to the world's number one PhD-only job search training platform with multiple courses and the PhD-only job referral network of over 10,000-plus industry PhDs. Now is your chance to become a lifetime member for 20% off of the association. Just use the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com, P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D. Dot com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll to the orange membership button and click on it and enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. No recurring monthly fees, no recurring annual fees. Nobody else offers this. phdsgethired.com. Use the coupon code CheekyRadio. Remember your value as a PhD and remember that knowledge is power and your network is your net worth.